I'm Russ Boris, and this is 8-Track. Our guest today is a renowned photographer, film director, and musician whose credits range from Johnny Cash and Tupac to Bjork and Bruce Springsteen. Happy to welcome Danny Clinch to the show. Hi, how you doing? Great to see you, Danny. Thank you for doing this. Of course, I'm happy to be here. I love the theme of the show as your focus is on the harmonica, which obviously makes a lot of sense. So yeah. what drew you to that instrument You know, at the beginning? My grandfather played the harmonica and I found it really cool, like most young kids do, to pick it up and play it. Uh, and I, I learned Oh Susanna and a couple things like that. And then um, as time passed, I picked up a harmonica and was taking some lessons to learn some blues. Uh, I had been working with a photographer named Timothy White, and he and his uh, assistant, longtime assistant, Russell Ward, were really into the blues. And the blues that I heard came from like the Allman Brothers and, you know, the Stones and that sort of thing when I was growing up. But they turned me on to Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and Big Mama Thornton and Little Walter, uh, Ray Charles, all that stuff. And I started to, to play a little bit and my neighbor uh, was taking blues guitar so we could kind of have a jam every now and again. And the, the real impetus for me really jumping into it was I was touring at the time with a band called Blind Melon. And um, Shannon one day, I told him that I had played harmonica because he had his harp out and he was playing backstage. And he said, oh, really? Uh, you should come and play with us. Come tonight. Sit in with us. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I, I, I like played once for my mom and I played like once at a barbecue, you know? And, and <laughs> I played once for my mom. That's a great line. And been at a barbecue once, right? And his, his comment was, well, you know, Danny, it's all just one big barbecue and you're going to have to come out and play with us. And long story short, I did go up and play with them and I got right in the pocket. It was awesome. And it just, it took me, you know, to the next level of just wanting to learn to play. So, well, I'm sure as we get through this list, we will make another uh, allusion and discussion around Blind Melon. Yeah. But you did drop the name of one Big Mama Thornton. And uh, your song choice here is one called Down Home Shakedown. Danny, there's a billion things you could probably talk about in that song. Um, mm. Tell me something about that song that sticks out for you. Well, when I started studying harmonica, it was interesting to see Big Mama Thornton pop up and, you know, her songs or songs that she had sung, Hound Dog, which was by Lieber and Stoller, she made popular as well as Summertime, which uh, Janis Joplin made popular. Uh, so I kept running into her all along. And that was a live cut from these festivals that they used to have in Germany, where they would bring all the blues artists over from America and they would do like a little jam session. And what I remembered when I was listening to it was how incredible the bass playing was in there. Um, I believe it was Willie Dixon on bass. And he wrote a lot of the classic songs from Chicago blues, like uh, the Muddy Waters stuff. And Germany doesn't really scream, you know, blues to me. That's an interesting connection. Well, there was a moment in time when the blues artists in America couldn't get a gig. And they would go to Europe and everybody loved them there. They just really appreciated it. And then before you know it, you have the the Rolling Stones coming over and the Beatles and they're like cooing over, you know, Howlin' Wolf and B.B. King and all that. In fact, you know, for years I did the photographs of all the Grammy winners at the Grammys. So if you won a, a Grammy or, or if you had played on the Grammys, they, you'd come back and I would do a portrait, a very nice, elegant portrait. It wasn't a step and repeat. It was a really nice 
lighting scenario and stuff. And at the end of the night, it gets really busy and there's a line. And I, if you look back at the line, you look behind you, there's a lot of people who won't stand in lines for very long. So you'd get nervous. And I happened to be photographing B.B. King and he was very kind and I was photographing him. And I noticed everybody stopped looking at B.B. King and they were looking behind me. So for a minute, I paused and I turned around and Paul McCartney was standing behind me. And I said, um, oh, Paul, I just uh, if I could just finish with Mr. King, if you could be patient, I'd really appreciate it. And he said, of course. And I, and I said, um, you've met B.B. King before. Yeah. And he said, I've never met B.B. King. And I was like, oh, well, allow me to introduce <laughs> And I walked Paul McCartney over to B.B. King and I said, I would like to introduce you to uh Mr. B.B. King and they squatted down next to each other and started chatting uh, and I got a photograph of the two of them just kind of hanging out together. It was really lovely. That is very cool. I mean, obviously, I want to talk to you a lot about, you know, your photography and your, your style and everything. Let's go to the beginning, though. Where does that love of photography come from? My mother photographed a lot and still does to this day. She photographs all the time and she always had a camera. And my grandfather, who played the harmonica, also took photographs and he had given me a camera when I was younger. It was my first sort of professional camera. And so I've always loved art and I always loved music. And so when I was uh, a youngster and I grabbed a camera and I started sneaking it into concerts all the time and there came a point where my parents said, you know, what are you going to do for a living? You know, what's your plan? And I decided to take some photography classes and that's when it happened. Do you remember the first artist that you photographed? Yeah, I went to... Six Flags Great Adventure in New Jersey. I know it well. And the Charlie Daniels band was playing. And I got my camera in and I photographed, you know, Charlie Daniels band, which was really cool. I still have those photos. And then I started to go to, you know, the Stone Pony and I would see the Smithereens and I would see the Hooters and uh, the Stray Cats and that sort of thing. And so early on, I was shooting those bands, local bands, Tommy Conwell and the Young Rumblers from Philly, the Bodines. You know, and then uh, I remember going to the Stone Pony and, you know, and photographing Warren Zevon and Cindy Lauper. And I have a gallery in Asbury Park, New Jersey, of my work, which is it's kind of a community hub. It's like a it's a hang spot. It's not a white glove gallery. It's a place to come and hang out, meet people, hear live music. And um, I have a show called Unseen that is up right now in Asbury. And one of the photos that were in there, I found over the pandemic time to myself, dug through all these old uh, files of mine, and I discovered a misfiled photograph of Cindy Lauper playing at the Stone Pony in 1989. Wild. Yeah. All right. Well, here's a guy that you did get an opportunity to photograph at one point in time, and that is Johnny Cash. And you picked a great one here. Johnny Cash and Orange Blossom Special. Hey, look yonder coming, coming down that railroad track. Hey, look yonder coming, coming down that railroad track. It's that orange blossom special, bringing my baby back. What's cool about this, maybe it might sound like there's two harmonicas, but it, halfway through the tune, he pulls another uh, harmonica out of his pocket and plays it in a different key. And I remember seeing that. I had gone to see Johnny Cash. I was photographing him and I saw the show as well. And he, you know, had two harmonicas. He was going back and forth between the two. So. 
harmonica's faster than kiss a duck. <laughs> so tell me that story. Well, I was photographing for an acoustic guitar magazine and you know, my mom and dad were both big Johnny Cash fans and my mom's best friend was like the craziest Johnny Cash fan. And so in the 90s, when nobody cared so much about Johnny Cash, going to see him or anything, I would bring my mom and her best friend to like the Ritz in New York City, and we'd go see Johnny Cash and the family band with the Carter family band. And you literally could go in and it would be half full and you could go wherever you want in there and wander around. And we would do that all the time. We would go in and we would just stand right in front and Johnny would look down at my mom's friend Linda and point at her and give her a little wink and she would just like melt into a puddle. And it was one of the greatest uh, joys of my life is sharing that music with them. And at a certain point, I got a chance to photograph Johnny for this acoustic guitar magazine. And it was out at the Westbury Music Hall out in Long Island and I went out there and I got to set up ahead of time and do some portraits of him and I got some really cool portraits uh, that I love and very simple you know you get a photograph simply for a, for a cover of a magazine that has to have a, be on a backdrop and have a lot of space around it so they can put their headline on there and their their text and everything on it well during that I asked him to sing us a song so I could photograph while he was singing a song and he played Bird on a Wire by Leonard Cohen and uh when we were done with the shoot, he was so kind and June was there. She was really kind. And I asked if I could just hang around before they hit the stage and shoot some photographs while he was you know, preparing to go out. And he said, yeah, absolutely. And I captured what was my most favorite photograph of him that I've taken, which was him just waiting in the hallway to be introduced. And you could hear the band, you know, vamping up and you could hear them saying, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the legendary man in black. And he was waiting to go on. And I snapped this photo was so beautiful and soulful and solitary and when rick rubin started working with johnny cash and american records and made the first johnny cash record i knew rick rubin through some friends and 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 having worked with him and so i sent him a gift print of this johnny cash photo and i said i appreciate you you know doing this for johnny cash and for all of us johnny cash fans i want you to have this photo so when they did the next record solitary man once they determined what the record was going to be called, everybody that walked by that photo in the studio kept saying, like, here's the album cover. This is Solitary Man right here. And uh, Rick Rubin called me up and said, we want to use this photo for the cover. Do you have any more for the inside? And so that's that's my Johnny Cash story. I mean, talk about taking it in, in a pretty incredible circle. I and mean, what, a, what a validation of your work right there. Yes. You know, was there an intimidation factor? Oh, yeah. With him, totally. I was so intimidated, but he was so nice to me. In fact, I didn't know what to say to him. Now, you know, I, like I, I really think about it ahead of time. What do you say to somebody like that? You know, and how do you find some common ground and just treat them with respect, but just treat them as a human being and not as a superstar is kind of my goal. And I was just really nervous. The only thing I could think of that I had in common remotely with Johnny Cash was that I had worked for Annie Leibovitz as an assistant. And I knew that he and June had been photographed by Annie. And I said to him at one point, uh, you know, that I had worked for Annie and, uh, and, you know, it was such a good honor to work for her. And then I was doing a portrait of him and June and I had a, I didn't pull the dark slide out of the four by five camera. And so when, when I pulled the Polaroid, it was blank. <laughs> and he like leaned over to me 
like and said, oh, yeah, mister, I used to work with Annie Leibovitz, you know, like and just wanted to bust my chops, which I thought was awesome. And it was a, a great moment. That is a great story. Pretty iconic one right there. Neil Young, the live version of Long May You Run. Danny's theme is all harmonica songs, and it's the ache in Neil's voice, and combine that with the harp, and it's pretty beautiful. It sure is. hard making these selections with so much you know I just tried to choose songs and artists that meant a real lot to me and there's ones that I had to leave off certainly Dylan uh, you know I didn't put little Walter on and it's just you know think about Magic Dick and Robert Plant the Beatles all that but this is it's a good it's a good list though right? I got going here <laughs> I think so and so why long may you run in particular you know one of the records I grew up on is uh, Decade and I was going to go with um, Love is a Rose because it's just such a simple like song that I feel like as a kid, as a teenager, like, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't expect myself to like, but it's just like alt country before alt country kind of vibe. And then I was listening through and, and I realized there was harmonica on Long May You Run. And, you know, I love car imagery and I actually played that at my dad's um, service after he passed away. And so I figured that was a good one too. And, and I just, I am just the biggest Neil Young fan. And he really did have a big influence on me playing the harmonica as well. Just, uh, you know, not even knowing at the time when I was younger what it meant to me. What, what is it about a particular harmonica style or player that, you know, is it, you hear something different that influences you? Is it just a skill level? I think it just comes down to the soulfulness of the playing. And, you know, there's so many different styles. You know, there's the Toots Thielman, you know, a million notes, jazz madness. And then there's like someone like Neil who's creaking along and, you know, and Dylan are hitting bad notes. And it's just beautiful, you know? You know, there's the blues vibe where you're bending notes. The blues harmonica is a lot of drawing in the harmonica, a lot of like sucking in. And then Dylan's style, for the most part, is a straight harp, which is a lot of blowing. So if you're if you're playing in the key of G, you'll have a G harmonica and you'll be doing a lot of at the end, like at the blow instead of the blues, which is. Here's my harmonica lesson. Wow. <laughs> that was a good one. I never had one as a kid. I remember. I, I feel like every kid gets a harmonica or they get that, you know, sort of ukulele style guitar. But I mean, yeah, yeah I could never really grasp it in that way. Um, <laughs> Danny Clinch is our guest. I'm sure we will get some more great stories surrounding this next artist, Bruce Springsteen. in that and what the harmonica does to that song is like Bruce's blues right there. It really is. 
it really moves me, that harmonica playing. It's so sad, and you just feel it right here in, in the song. And that's, you know, that's Bruce Springsteen for you. We drive out of this valley Down to where the fields were green We go down to the river And into the river we dive Well, you have a long history there with Bruce. Um, tell us about the, the first meeting that you had when you were you know, set to photograph Bruce. What happened was, you know, I had worked with Annie Leibovitz, as I had said, and I worked on the Tunnel of Love album as an assistant. So I had met Bruce at that point, and um, he had been working with some other photographers, and I was started my career after assisting other photographers. And I was pretty busy, and I always had my eye on Bruce Springsteen. I mean, I'm from New Jersey, you know? And I got really fortunate. Uh, a friend of mine in the early days of the internet created a website for me, Jeff Dotchess and Craig Kenrick. And they created this company called Razorfish. They made a lot of money straight away. And they started to share it with their friends in the way of like, they would um, finance recording sessions for musicians. They were making books for artists. They were giving people gallery shows. And they made a book for me called Discovery In. And when, once I got it in my hands, I decided to send it to Bruce. And I knew who his um, designer was, who designed his album covers and tour books at the time, Sandy Chera. And so I sent two books, one for her and one for Bruce. And um, I got a call from this woman and she said, I was going to the rehearsal. Bruce was getting the E Street Band back together and I was going to the rehearsal. And uh, I brought this book to him to see and he really liked it and, and wanted to know if he would come to Fort Monmouth and photograph for the tour book for the tour they're going to do and I was like kidding me <laughs> I, I almost started crying and then I did go down to Fort Monmouth and I didn't even realize that it was the first time that the E Street Band had been together in like 10 years you know it was crazy and how intimidating is this you know you've done the work you've been working towards this and you get there in the moment is there just nerves? Is it just like, I know how to do this? What's your mindset going into that shoot? I think with that shoot and the Bob Dylan shoot I did, I really had to calm myself down and just be like, you know, it's sink or swim. At that point in my career, I had done a lot of photo shoots and I was just beginning to trust my instincts. So it was a good timing for me to work with Springsteen and, and Bob Dylan and to sort of just go in there and, and let my instincts take over and just treat people properly. That was an interesting moment because the Dylan session was a, a session where it was about publicity and portraits and photographing him, directing him, finding a location. And my first shoot with Bruce was going to Fort Monmouth while they were rehearsing. So it was a matter of where are my boundaries here? Like, I don't want to get in the way, but I don't want to be in the back of the room. I want to get in the mix, but I don't want to get in people's way. And that was the balance that I had to create. And then at a certain point, I was told that, uh, you know, I would get to do a portrait of each one of the band members. And, and Bruce was the last one that I photographed. And um, it was cool because he, he, he loves photography and he has an interest in photography. And I didn't know it at the time, 
But I found out quickly because he was looking at my cameras and, oh, let me see that Hasselblad. You know, and he was looking through the camera and, you know, and took a picture of me with, like, with my own camera and stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. Um, so it's been a really great time getting to know him, you know, through my photography and music and friendship. Well, I work, 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 What have I got to show? The only thing that you give me Lord, is a hard way to go. But I'm going up over my head. I want to hollow to you. Well, I ought but I ain't none. The iconic duo of Buddy Guy and Junior Wells and Cut You Loose. I don't know what it was about Buddy that, like, he sounded like an elder statesman of the blues when he was, like, 20. <laughs> you know, it's like he was always yeah. that guy. So true. And as an 80-year-old that he is now, or he, I don't know, he might even be older, he looks great. Yeah, he's unbelievable. I saw Buddy Guy 20 years ago. And it was a rock show. Like, it's not a blues show. It's a, it's just, it's a rock. It was like Hendrix, you know. And to watch women in the front row, like, do strip teases to Buddy Guy was like something I wasn't thinking I was going to go see when I went to go see a Buddy Guy show. It was just wild. What about the playing in that, you know, in Junior Wells? You know... When I started playing harmonica, I got turned on somehow to this Alone in Acoustic record with Buddy Guy and Junior Wells. One of my other favorite Junior Wells records is Hoodoo Man Blues. That's an electric sort of Chicago blues. But what I love about Junior and when I started to play harmonica, you know, I would listen to someone like Little Walter and there's just in my mind, I'm like, there's just no way I'm ever going to be able to play that ever it's like trying to learn guitar and listening to Hendrix you know and there was something about Junior Wells playing that like resonated with me and there were little licks that I was able to steal from him that were approachable and attainable for me as a young harmonic player you know when you really listen it sounds simple but it's not at all and I was probably hacking them but I was able to play them for myself so I love Junior and uh, when I was came to New York City as a youngster uh, I would go to Manny's Car Wash and Chicago Blues and all that stuff. And funny enough, I probably was like one of the few locals there. It was a lot of tourists that would go to Manny's Car Wash and I would see Luther Allison and James Cotton and Junior Wells and stuff. But I always loved being right there in front of somebody and listening to them play. The harmonica is interesting because you can't look at the fingers while they're playing, you know? piano, saxophone, you know, you can't see what someone's doing on the harmonica. It feels hidden, you know, it almost feels like it's a trick. Yeah. You know, in a way, you know, harmonica players are, are magicians. Yep. So one minute you think you're hearing a, you know, an accordion or an organ or a trumpet or something or a voice, a human voice. And uh, it's, you know, it's a harmonica. Blind 
Mellon on 8-Track with Danny Clinch. You know, I want to get into the All I Can Say documentary a little bit, but I like that you wanted to play Hell. Because I think for some, or probably for many who don't have a lot of knowledge of the band overall music, it's it's like their association is No Rain or it's the B-Girl or, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about that track specifically, Hell. Well, as I said, I learned to play harmonica, you know, or I was pushed to play some more harmonica through Shannon Hoon and Blind Melon. And we became really close friends. And um, after he passed away, they had some demos, you know, that were songs that were, you know, pretty close to finished, but weren't finished, you know. Um, And so that song was a demo. We all went to Seattle afterwards. And that's me playing harmonica on that song after Shannon had passed away. And it was the first time I ever made up like a riff of my own, like for a song. Did you think that, you know, you wanted to play it how he would have played or did you just try to just do your own thing? I tried to do my own thing. It was a real dirty sounding harmonica, like, you know, played through a green bullet mic, through a tube amp. And he didn't really play that way. He played more folk style, you know, like Neil. And uh, in fact, one time they invited me to play a show and and he said, oh, I have a new song you're going to play. It's going to be Walk. And you come out and you play this riff. And he got out his C harmonica and he played it. And I was like, cool, cool. And, and, and I was like, I've got my C harmonica and I started to play it. And I'm like, this just doesn't sound the same. And what I realized is the harmonica that he was playing was so old and so out of tune but it just sounded perfect. But like, I couldn't play the same thing he did because my harmonica was new. (laughs) It was was pretty funny. It was a funny moment. But the last time I spoke to Shannon, he had come to New Jersey and he played at the Trade Winds down on the shore. Shannon was a hard person to get to know and we really were starting to get to know each other and I really, really loved the guy. And um, we had just heard that Blind Melon was invited to play Neil Young's Bridge School Benefit. Uh, at the Shoreline Amphitheater. It raises money for um, children, special needs in education. Neil always had just the most incredible lineup of people that would play there, and Blind Melon got invited. And the last thing Shannon said to me was, hey, Danny, we're going to Uncle Neil's. You know, don't forget to bring your harmonica. And uh, and I was like, all right, I'll see you there. And then he, he died before we could all go. And um, it was a very terrible uh, moment for everyone. Imagine having the rug pulled out from under you after having you know, your dream come true and playing in a band and, you know, having some success and, and Shannon had just had a daughter. It was just the worst possible thing you could ever imagine. And, um, I always, uh, am grateful to those guys and they're all like really still really dear friends of mine. They have a new singer named Travis Warren and they do go out and they tour and they make new music and it's a great band. And that documentary was really kind of a labor of love for you. Yeah. Yeah. I started that documentary about 15 years ago. The idea was, Let's film the band finding a new singer and watch them conquer the world, which is what we had all hoped. And it didn't go that way, but we, we were still filming and some great stuff was happening. And Lisa Krauss, who is the mother of Shannon's daughter, Nico, said to me, you know, I have this box of tapes that Shannon had shot. He was always had a video camera in his hand and he filmed everything. She said, you might need these for the documentary. So we, we took them out and we started looking at them and scanning through them and and somebody said you know what would be super cool is to make a film out of these tapes that just 
are basically Shannon telling his own life story because he documented everything. Nothing was off limits for him. And so we cut the whole film out of his own footage. So it's a very unique piece of filmmaking. My editor, Taryn Gould, who is also my co-director, along with Colleen Hennessy, we did this project together, along with Shannon. <laughs> I'll take you with me everywhere I go. I'll put you in my pocket, who will know? Right next to my heart at every show I'll take you with me everywhere I go Willie Nelson and Everywhere I Go and Willie just has the most kind of perfectly imperfect voice I've always thought and the harp in that I think is a really interesting texture that it adds um, Who's the player in that one? That's Mickey Raphael who plays with Willie all the time it's a really incredible record, that one, Teatro. Willie's stuck with the same producer for most of his career, and he took a left turn and did a record with Daniel Lanois, who did the U2 Joshua Tree, Peter Gabriel So, Oh Mercy with Bob Dylan, and of course his own records. He's an incredible producer. And he just really took Willie out of his comfort zone there, and he had like, percussion and you know he plays pedal steel and slide and uh and it was just mickey from willie's band and bobby willie's sister on piano it was just so incredible to see them work together and the harmonica playing is it feels like um like a middle eastern you know, desert blues kind of thing going on there. That's why I chose that song. It's kind of hypnotic. I, yeah. yeah, I chose it because it was different. You know, it's not straight harp, it's not blues, and it's not country, you know? And Mickey Raphael can play any kind. I mean, I was tempted to play Georgia because he does the Georgia riff and it's just, it's mind blowing, but he can play all sorts of melodies and, and with different harmonicas, he's got like, you know, these sort of like orchestral harmonicas and, and little tiny harmonicas. And and he's played with everyone, you know, because through Willie, he's played with Ray Charles and Miles Davis. And he's just a very versatile harmonica player. Danny Clinch is our guest on 8-Track. And as we've gone through the first seven, obviously that leaves one more and you've been centered around harmonica. I want you to set up this last one, and it's a band that you have maybe a little bit more of a stake in. <laughs> yes. It's the Tangiers Blues Band. Uh, I met this uh, group of fellas at a band called Danger Man, and they got their choice of photographers. And I showed up to talk with them at their studio, and I saw all these blues posters up there, you know, John Lee Hooker and Buddy Guy and Muddy and all that. And we had a quick conversation. I was like, oh, I play a little harmonica. You guys play blues? Oh, yeah, all the time. And that train keeps rolling on down to San a lot of times I've been invited to jam and people weren't really playing blues, they were playing rock and it was just hard for me to, I wasn't really that good at the time, this is 25 years ago. And we started hanging out together and we started playing music together and we started doing gigs in New York City and we're still at it. And you know, this is obviously uh, the uh, Folsom Prison Blues, 
But our, our real forte is taking songs that you wouldn't expect to be in a blues genre and turning them into a blues. I like the Beastie Boys, Fight for Your Right, and uh, stuff like that. So, uh, But this is um, Folsom Prison Blues, and um, we recorded this quite some time ago, and I'm hoping I'm a better harmonica player now. Tangier's Blues Band with their version of Folsom Prison Blues and on harmonica, eight-track guest Danny Clinch. Big thanks again to Danny for all great songs and stories. In next week's episode, I'll be joined by two guest DJs, Rivers Cuomo and Pat Wilson of Weezer. A-Track is engineered by Jim O'Hara and produced by Sarah Wardrop. Subscribe, listen, and learn more at 8trackpod.com. I'm Russ Boris for WFUV in New York.